Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thanks very much for joining us once again. This week, it's part two of our conversation with Daryl Carp, who is the head of the Museum of Australian Democracy at Old Parliament House. And she is, as you would have known from listening last week, a very experienced media executive, former head of factual programming at the ABC. She still sits on the board of SBS and she has really genuine media experience, and she's now running a museum. And I know last week we got some great insights into exactly just how that influence as being a media executive is having on her running of the Australian Museum of Australian Democracy at Old Parliament House here in Canberra. But this week, we start to look at you know, a couple of other different things, but more around that effective use of social media. Um, one of the things that we're looking at is how do we build the right team to reach the successes that we discussed part week, um, in part one last week. So there's really a lot in this. And as I say, Daryl Karp, enormously impressive media executive, and I love the way how she's using the principles of building content and building programming into her role as head of the Museum of Australian Democracy here in Canberra. So as much as you enjoyed last week, that was a great interview, but this is part two and there's so much more to come from that as well. So enjoy part two, talking to Daryl Carp. I, I do want to sort of dial back to actually, uh, you know, an area that um, we just discussed moments ago. And this is this notion of building collaborative teams and matrix management and being able to draw together from a variety of spaces and to know that the storytelling and the ideas don't just belong in the comms area or the communications area or the, or the creative department. Yeah. It could be anywhere. So how do you, because this is this is an idea that I'm really interested in exploring in, in government itself, that we activate, you know, the knowledge and the contribution of all sorts of different people in terms of understanding the audience and their need and that we get away from, oh, well, that's their job. You know, it's their job to come up with the solution. It's like, well, no, it's not. It's everybody's job. And so how do we, how do you build those teams and how do you break the silos down and how do you get them working effectively? Um, in The million dollar question. It is, it is, <laughs> it is. And that's why, you know, you drive a big fast car and, you know, you're on the doing so well over there. Um, I'm really interested in, in your reflections on, on how you do that because in, you know, traditional organisations, it's off, you know, making change is difficult because this is not the way we've done it around here and we need to be more fluid in the way we do things. So how do you go about doing that in these organisations? Look, I was really fortunate that when I came across to the museum sector, um, I came from an area that had gone through a lot of the sorts of changes that museum sectors facing now. You know, I'd come from the ABC where we had gone from film to tape to digital, where all of those processes had changed, where we were then going from everything was being made internally to working with the outside sector, the independent producers. So I could see, you know, had I had history to say, look, this is where it can work and this is where the opportunities can come from. The advantage of coming into a place where you know very little is you're very open. And so the first thing I did was to have 
I had a series of every fortnight I would have a lunch uh, randomly selected from everyone, you know, had eight people in my office and we would just come from wherever, from cleaning through to content. I mean, honestly, anybody who wanted to come to lunch could. And I had a reasonably structured approach to it, a kind of a facilitated approach, um, trying to get a sense of what people on the ground really felt because you're being presented a particular position by senior management, but also where the really creative people were and were they in the right place? Because I'm a great believer in Jim Collins's good to great theory of getting the right people on the bus, but I go one step further. It's not just the right people on the bus, it's the right people in the right seats on the bus. Right. And so we had the right people in in the building, in the organisation, but some of the really, really talented people weren't given the space to flourish. Mm-hmm. And so that was the first thing was I was able to meet with people and get a really ground up sense of who who was there, who had ideas, how do I and then how do I capture those ideas? So it's one thing to say that's a creative person, then the next thing is to say how do we take those ideas and put them into the system. So having met with everyone, having had a look at the structure, having spent six months working there, we then decided it was time to change the structure. Before we get onto that, because I'm yeah. interested in that, but did you have a vision at that point that you were going, that you went in with a clear idea of this is what I want to do and I'm having this discovery trying to find the pieces to put towards my vision or was it very much a, I'm not quite sure yet, I'm going to have to just sit here and ask lots of questions and then my vision will become much clearer as a result of of the engagement. I had a vision as what success looked like. Okay. Uh, and it and came from it came from a conversation I had with an Irish colleague when I told him I got the job at the Museum of Australian Democracy and he said, "Oh, just like Australians to put their democracy in a museum <laughs> as is a living thing." <laughs> But actually that got to the heart of stage one, which was, okay, what does a living museum look like? Okay. You know, what does a museum that is not just looking backwards social history, telling the story of the building and Australia's political history, what could it look like, what should it look like and where have we had some success? So I knew that for me it was celebrating the spirit of Australian democracy and the power of your voice, the how to do that. Right. wasn't fully articulated. And I must say that um, I have a, I, you know, we had a good senior management team. I've got an exceptional senior management team now. Um, and they were open to, to bringing all ideas forward. And, and um, we were able to articulate what does that look like? Bold content, uh, relevant, um, authentic and dynamic. So it was bold content. It was relevant to our visitors, which is we were being driven by our visitors, not by what we might want to tell them. Um, Authentic as in the heritage elements, the history of the building, um, based on on good data and research. And then dynamic is, you know, the, the way we do it, um, the systems that we have in place. And those four pillars uh, what we loosely call the Brad Matrix, has stood us in very, very good stead and we're about to re- have another look at our strategic plan. Those underpinned the first strategic plan and we developed, the, you know, all of the objectives of that strategic plan a year ahead of schedule. But it was because you got such great buy-in. You know, the staff were really willing to to embrace it. Once they accepted that my coming from outside the industry didn't mean that I was going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
Uh, and I, I have to say, I did get a couple of comments from a couple of my senior managers, which was, this is not media, you know. And I was able to actually say, well, the principles of media are very similar to the principles of museology, which is we are really clear about who our audience is. We are absolutely um, strong on the story and the narrative that communicates with them. We capture the data to identify how successful that's actually been and we modify it. You know, these are really, this is not brain surgery. No. Um, and so, but once we, once we got over that particular experience and people recognised that, I knew a lot about how to engage audiences and how to tell stories and how to make potentially dull information really accessible because, let's face it, you know, the passage of a bill through Parliament is not the sort of thing that you're going to share in, in an email unless you've actually got a really exciting way to tell it. Yeah. Um, and then we got some really quick wins. You know, once we started seeing, you know, the numbers going up, the responses from people, the social media pickup. I mean, when I came on board, I think we had about 120 social media followers. It was really, really tiny. It was, God. you know, negligible. Right. And now we've got tens of thousands. So, again, and, and we're not doing it by putting up photos of cats. Yeah. Sometimes we're tempted, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> we, we did actually have a thought of, you know, the Prime Minister's pets was one of those that we thought about Trivia Tuesday. Yeah. But nonetheless, you know, we have found our voice. And but I think that's the biggie. The big one for us is, you know, having our voice and being very clear about who we are and learning what works and what doesn't work. And, and being consistent? And being consistent, but also surprising. Okay. You are consistent, but you can't be boring. Yeah. You know, so it's consistent. So consistent is there's a surprisingness in everything that we do. When you walk in, I'd like you to think every time you come to us, every quarter, there's something new for you to see. Yeah. There's something new for you to do. Um, and that uh, there's something that you wouldn't expect. But it may be a surprise, but it's a surprise driven by an insight of some sort around the audience. So it's not something completely... Driven by solid foundations on what success looks like. Right. Our democracy, your voice. You are engaged, you are empowered. Yeah. And you know more about your democracy. When you leave the building, having gone through the what, whatever it is that you've gone, even if you've just gone for a cup of coffee, I'd like to believe that you have left slightly changed, a little bit more knowledge, a uh, little bit open to a different idea, having left your opinion on something, um, talked to somebody that you might not have spoken to. We have the most fantastic volunteers and that's the other amazing thing. Half of our volunteers have been, you know, ministers yeah. or uh, people who've worked, who've worked uh, for the Prime Minister or have been in that building. So they're speaking from passion and experience, which is really compelling. Mm. But it's, it's quite intriguing, really, isn't it, that you've t adopted a sort of program-making media company approach, really, to the, to, to the museum itself, as in telling a story, seeking to engage with that audience, and then thinking about how you continue to publish, present useful, relevant experiences and content in order to engage uh, audiences around that central theme, which is around, you know, the democracy. I'm a great believer in, in um, borrowing from people who are doing it well. Okay. So if I read something, see something, meet with people who've, who have tested something and it's working, I'm happy to adopt it and I've been very fortunate to be on the board of SBS. And so some of the matrix style uh, working, um, the breaking down of silos, the 
telling things differently, how they use their data, how they uh, understand their audience has been really, really insightful. And so I've cherry-picked those that, sorts though. of things that will work for a museum space. Yeah. What are you looking for in your people that, you know, that do work for you, you know, into this environment where you're... You, you want to draw the best from them. So what, what are the characteristics of people that you're looking for to, to help you achieve your, your vision? That's a really interesting question. For me, it's not so much an individual characteristic as much as the characteristics of a team. So if I had everybody who was um, in the uh, historical conservation space who were, you know, that wouldn't be good. If I had everyone who was in the let's go and change the world space, it wouldn't be good. But I think the key thing that I'm looking for across the board is openness, open to, to new ideas, open to uh, working with external and internal people, open to um, trying things that may not have been tried, um, but also um, very knowledgeable in their core area so that we know that we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Mm. Probably the biggest complaint I get about me from my staff at all levels <laughs> is my comfort with ambiguity. Yes. You know, I come from a space where, uh, you know, the museum sector tends to work in, you know, three-year terms. Yeah. You, you have an idea, you develop it, you get the objects. Yeah. Uh, three years is a really, really long time in today's fast-changing world. Yeah. Three years ago, trust wasn't really on the horizon in the way that it is now. So that ambiguity for me is about the capacity to have a project that this is what we're going to deal with. But if new information comes along yeah. or if a killer object is something that we just have to have that's part of it. So, for example, the really interesting one for me in terms of that, that sort of ease of ambiguity is... Um, when we're doing our trust gallery, the whole marriage equality narrative is happening up the hill. Yep. Wow, what a perfect experience to have a look at. How does a bill go through Parliament, taking something where you've got um, your survey, it's a, a bill that's coming from the Senate, private member's bill going through the Senate down to the House of Reps, then it's got its three readings how to actually tell that story, and everybody is invested in that. So I just said, well, I know we were thinking of something else, but let's ditch the something else and let's have a look at this and what objects do we want to get? And so we've been gathering, as this whole debate has been proceeding, we've actually gathered some exceptional objects. We've got um, the flag, uh, the rainbow flag that Penny Wong wore around her shoulders um, in the Senate the first time that um, the bill came went through. We've, uh, we've got... Um, um, uh, Warren Ench's tie, uh, we've got um, the first reading speeches, we've got marriage proposals, we've got a whole series of things that allow us to take something that's inherently dry yep. and bring it to life. Yep. And how quickly will you turn that around? It'll be yeah. on air. It'll be in the. It'll be on air. Sorry, my mistake. <laughs> it will be in the gallery. It will be. It will be. The exhibition will be open in May next year. Okay. So, you know, it's, the, it's in design at the moment. Yep. The, the deconstruction has happened. We're busy putting out to tender the actual design specs for this new gallery and that's going to be part of it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really just recognising we, we have this fantastic baseline of strong, solid knowledge. Now it's how do you turn that into 
great stories, experiences, events that connect with the public, that make them want to tell us what they're thinking or talk to their uh, politicians or get engaged or involved in, the, in creating the kind of Australia that we would like to see. What, is, what about this notion of speed and the impact of speed and the need for speed and, you know, uh, is, how relevant is that, that, that you have to be ad- adaptive, you have to be able to move, you have to, be, as you say, live with ambiguity and then be able to make decisions and move quickly in a direction when there's an opportunity? How, uh, how much is that sitting at the heart of, of what you do and are you uh, aware of it and, and mindful of the fact that, you know, perhaps this, that old three-year cycle that you were describing before is, you know, antiquated? All of the museum directors are struggling with how to actually bring that cycle down. Yeah. Now, some of those big blockbusters where you're pulling together yeah. exceptional objects from all around the world that, you know, you want to have in one place, the objects themselves aren't going to be uh, out of date too quickly. So that's fine. But we're all looking at how do you do it. For me, that balance between speed and academic rigour is the critical one. Okay. You can never go so fast that you get something wrong. Reputation is everything. So at the heart of everything that we're doing, it all comes back to what's that reputational risk. Yeah. Um, and so you can be speedy if you've got really solid foundation stones. We've got really solid foundation stones. Yeah. Um, and and I you think also sound like you have the that matrix management approach. Really good matrix approach. Where you're able to go, okay, you, 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 you and you. Right, you're now on this. Let's go. So in response to that, you know, we have a little pop-up team. We yeah. actually think in terms of that's a little pop-up, what do we need around that, how do we do that quickly? Yeah. We've got a set of models. Again, I'm picking up from some of those media approaches, which is... Um, a magazine program is a, a much quicker response than a half-hour um, Australian story versus a Attenborough four-part series. Each of those have a different uh, cost research uh, background to it. But we're using those similar models. So we can quickly say this is something that fits into the magazine model, so-and-so, here's your group, go for it. Yeah. And um, although having said that, the downside of a matrix approach... Lots of meetings. Right. You know, lots of meetings to get make sure that everybody is coming with you. When I say lots of meetings, you know, you've got you're, – you're continually connecting up with learning, with exhibitions, with marketing and comms, with digital, uh, with the um, family groups, with the front of house people to make sure because you're moving really quickly. Normally you'd have a, a more – uh, considered slower process, but because you're bringing everything forward, you know, an idea, some of the museums, the Maritime Museum in Sydney, for example, can get an idea from concept to pop up on the floor within, you know, 30 hours. Oh, wow. So you've got a whole team of people who are really thinking in that way, what might it be? So you're scanning horizons to say what might come up, you know, who's, what events are there likely to be happening? You're building those sorts of relationships with people so that if something happens, you can get access to the right sort of objects that will tell that story. Hmm. And then once they've given it to you on loan, then there's the conversation about might they consider donating it. All of those sorts of things um, are a different way of looking at our museum experience because, you know, we're a museum of ideas. That's yep. the real – it's a great joy. It's a really yeah. freeing, freeing thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then, then, of course, it becomes back to what I said earlier, who do you partner with? How do you add value um, through those partnerships who can bring a different way of 
looking at things. Yeah. Um, and that's been really helpful for us as well. So, you know, we've partnered with SBS, we've partnered with the ABC, we've partnered with uh, Crinkling News, which are the only kids' yeah. newspaper, physical hard copy, quite a curious experience, but to see kids physically reading a paper, physically turning the page. Because that's the other thing about the digital. You talked about it being all segmented and your kids sitting in different rooms. It is a very different experience in terms of all of your senses to have that physical, tangible experience. And tangible physical is quite a big one for us. Yep. You know, finding that way. We, we have... Um, um, we look at how you might actually respond. Someone comes into an exhibition, we look at it through if they're an ideas person, if they're a physical person, if they're um, uh, looking for the objects or if they're looking for the sort of celebrity personality type. Right. You know, the, what we call IPOP. Um, and we're just continually looking for those sorts of things so that every exhibition connects with someone, every story connects with someone in whatever way they want to come into it. But it's obviously a ruthless focus on the audience and the needs of the audience because that's the beginning Absolutely. and the middle and the end Absolutely. of the whole discussion. Just a quick one, um, and we, we have gone a bit longer but we'll keep talking because it's an interesting conversation. Um, you can cut out the boring bits. <laughs> we don't edit on this one, which is good actually. Um, just going back to that because I like – well, one of the purposes of this is really to – have these conversations so people can go away and think about their jobs and think about their works at this time of great change. And I think, you know, what we've explored today is, you know, there's lots of big issues but there's also lots of practical stuff here that, I, that I'm really enjoying um, us discussing because I think it's the model that you're describing I think is really where we're going. And I think this adaptive matrix style approach, thinking that you're just not there and, you know, that box, that box, that box and that box, you know, that, that's finished, that's done. So we need to be much more um, uh, adaptive in, in the way that, that, we, that, that we move and, and we change and we manage. And you, you mentioned that in the, the matrix model it, it requires lots of meetings and that's just a necessary evil of, of the approach. How do you run a good meeting? How do you, in, in that environment in that context, how do people run a good meeting? So if I'm sitting listening to this now, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to try this, but I really don't know where to start in terms of running a, a, a good, short, sharp, perhaps it's a longer meeting. I don't know. What, what's the advice? Um, look, it's a really interesting question and that's probably the hardest thing to get right. Mm. Um, what I would say is there are three important things in the matrix and we're evolving it as we as we do it. Mm. The first I would say is you need to have one project leader or, as I call it in the media sense, an executive producer. Yeah. The buck stops so with you. So it goes back to this. Well, this I love yeah. this media model because yeah. I think it's so, so right for the time. So you have the exec producer whose job is to make sure that everyone who walks out of that room knows what they're doing because that's probably the hardest thing. You'll run through some big big things that are happening and you're asking people's input but when you walk out you need to have a list of who is responsible for what and when is it going to be done by. Yeah. Um, and that's been one of the areas that we have failed at at times, you know, which is you assume that marketing is going to pick that up. It, obviously in my head it's a marketing thing yep. but actually marketing's <clears throat> not sure if they're picking it up or if, you know, digital's picking it up. Yeah, got it. So it's be been really, clear. really specific and um, we have a little um, um, matrix-style list, 
you know, sort of step one, step two, step three, step four, which you just fill in as you required. So it's not a specific, first this happens, then that happens. It's each project is slightly different, but the exec producer has, by this stage, we have to have this done. Here's what has to happen, who's going to do that? By this stage, we have to have this, this done. And you can work that out sometimes at the meeting itself. I think that's an area that we have to, to continually have a look at because the conventional project management models are often too complex. Um, they have spreadsheets attached to them and, you know, by the time you've got all of your different spreadsheets and people have got all these other bits and pieces and they're all interlinked, but at some point you've got one piece of error information in and that's not accurate and then everything that's linked off, that's not working. So at the moment, different people are developing their own styles. The content people have a particular way of working. The governance people have a particular way of working. Um, the governance group actually, because they're used to that sort of audit and risk management approach. They actually have an interesting one, which I think we'll unpack a little bit more next year and see if it's working. Right. And then Is we... that a more comprehensive model? Is that no, like it's a simpler. A... Simpler? It's actually a much simpler one. It's sort of headline type stuff and then there's a list for who's going to take responsibility and who's going to... And then just put the date. They just write it in yourself. I'm just... Um, one of the wonderful things, how do I know that the governance people have a model like this? In holiday periods like now where everyone else is acting, everyone else, they've brought one of their models in and they're actually, you know, acting head of exhibitions and um, uh, heritage and they're just working through a couple of bits of pieces and I'm looking at that thinking, I haven't seen that particular list before. That's quite interesting. We might have a look at that next year. So it's that wonderful opportunity right. where you, you bring people into different jobs, yeah, they bring yeah. different bits with them. Yeah. Um, I think the thing for me, you know, the biggest take home in all of this for me has been when I talk about that ambiguity, I would also say flexibility, that notion of being comfortable with knowing we're all going in that direction, we're going to get there by this particular time. The journey may have a couple of extra curves in it. That's okay because we're going to get useful information out of that. That's probably the really big thing that, you know, when you say, what am I looking for in a team? People who are able to sit comfortably with that yeah. and accept that sometimes that curve might really provide something exciting. And how do you grow the tolerance for that in your teams? If that's, the, if that's part of how you're going to successfully operate, how do you encourage people or teach people to be comfortable in those ambiguous times? Because it's difficult sometimes, isn't it's it? It's very difficult and it's particularly difficult. It's much easier in a creative space where failure is an yeah. option provided you learn from it, it's structured, and then there's, yeah. then there's failure versus catas catastrophic <laughs> failure, which is not acceptable. Um, you know, in, in a government space where you're measured by what went wrong, not by how successful you are, that's much more difficult. But for us, we continually assess lessons learned. So for me, it's not about failure, it's about lessons learned. I mean, when I left the ABC in the first instance, I went into the dot-com world. Yeah. You know, failed, lessons learned, really significant, <laughs> totally undercapitalized, before our time, etc. So it's really about saying, that wasn't what we expected, catch it early, lessons learned, move on, and also to make it everybody's responsibility. So there's never, ever, something doesn't work out is never because of just one person. No. There's a group of people around it and we do have a really collegial um, working environment and um, I have an open-door policy. You can come to me with a mad idea at any time. Just accept that I may not buy it. Yeah. 
um, and good ideas can come from anywhere and yeah. do. So, so when you accept all of those sorts of things, the, the acceptance of failure, the learning from the lessons learned, we have a very, very active, robust risk conversation all the way through. Yeah. So when you're talking about failure, it's, it's about managing the risk. Yeah. Failure's never a wall's going to fall down, an exhibition's not going to happen on time. Failure is, that's a really interesting idea. Let's test it out. Gee, that idea's not playing as well as we would like. Do we leave it? Do we move on? You yeah. know, it's that level of failure. But those curves, I think um, we celebrate successes and I think that a lot of the really extraordinary successes that we've had have come from yeah. the unusual and expected curves that have come in. You think, wow, that's really interesting data. That will allow us to do this, which will respond, get audiences to respond differently. And when you see a five-fold increase in audiences around a particular <laughs> experience, people go... That's worth it. Yeah. That was absolutely worth it. Yeah. But then, it's, as you say, it's very important to describe that detour, yeah. isn't it? And just going... Just and that's our area of weakness. Our oh. area of weakness is not so much the describing the detour. The area of weakness for us is we are moving so fast that we don't do sufficient um, project reviews yeah. at the end of it to capture yeah. some of that data. So a lot of us know it and we might share it informally, but actually capturing the real data of what can we learn, what process should we change formally, not informally, um, how might we improve things. We're, we're moving very, very fast and that's the area, that's the big area, I think, for me personally, yeah. of attention next year. Okay. Not that but we're repeating mistakes, we're not, because there's enough knowledge in the place, but to have it written down, yeah. to be able to share it formally with others when new people come on board yeah. is useful. But that's that whole learning organisation, knowledge yeah. management systems, yeah. isn't it, to yeah. have the policies, the practices and so is that you're not losing those things and you are, you know, recording, codifying, sharing. Yeah. And, and just a final question around communication internally. How, how do you go about that? You know, I know obviously um, open door policy, you, you know, when you're in your discovery phase. you so there's that personal side of it, which is you one to one, one to smaller groups, and other things. But what other? I do. I do a communique yep. every six weeks or so, which okay. has got some of the key messaging that I think is important. Reflecting you, th that architecture that you described before. Reflecting those... the architecture, co consolidating yeah. those values, reminding people yeah. of purpose, reminding people of mm. why we do what we do. Sometimes I will actually talk about what works and what doesn't work. I often, when we've got a big event, I will always look at what was successful and also lessons learnt and what we might do differently. And uh, I'm assuming that, that that level of information will end up, you know, I always say, does it face the front page of the Canberra Times or Sydney Morning Herald test? I assume that it will, but I'm not scared of, you know, self-criticism and self-review. Yeah. I think that's how we grow. Yeah. Um, we've got a really, really good senior executive and senior management team. Um, they, they have very open relationships with their staff and we get really frank and fearless conversations, uh, which is really, really important. Yeah. Um, and um, I walk the floor a lot. I, I spend a lot of time uh, observing visitors and talking to staff, talking to volunteers, spending time with people. So I really do feel like I genuinely know what is going on. We're lucky. We're a really small organisation, yeah. under 100 staff, under 100 volunteers, you know. 
that's a perfect, if you're looking at it in that community sense, you know, what constitutes a perfect community? 80 people, once you get above 80, you tend to divide into two groups and work as two separate communities. So we're really lucky that the, the size of it is perfect for yeah. us. And then the growth comes from the partnerships. But I love the, well, yes, small organisation, but with a, a very clear mission and yeah, a great yeah, purpose. Yeah. And I think... Um, and passionate people. And I think that gets back to the, the, the heart of it, isn't it? Yeah. That it's a, it, it's a worthwhile, valuable exercise for someone of your talents to be applying yourself and uh, introducing those media models or that media thinking yeah. into the way that you're telling the story um, yeah, yeah. so as you're out engaging with people. So fantastic conversation, Daryl. So thank you very much for, for, you. for coming in. Thank um, you. Fascinating. So there you go. That's the end of my discussion with Daryl Carp, and I really did enjoy that conversation with her. There was just so much to it, um, really fascinating conversation. And I know that you would have taken away a lot from the two discussions that we had over the – or the one discussion we had that was broken up over two weeks because the thing is what we really hope to do here at In Transition is to leave you with, you know, one or two or maybe even three things each week that you can take away and put into your business. And I know out of both the first one – and the second one, there are some real actionable insights, which is the real purpose of why we're here. So anyway, thanks very much for coming back once again. We'll be back at the same time next week, but for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.